Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. M-S-W Media. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and welcome to Refried Beans, where we play an episode of the Daily Beans podcast from the same week, either one, two, or three years ago, so we can see how far we've come. So please enjoy this episode from days gone by and note the date in the intro. Refried beans. I like refried beans. That's why I want to try fried beans, because maybe they're just as good and we're, we're wasting time. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, January 26, 2022. Today, Lisa Monaco confirms the Department of Justice is reviewing the forged elector certificates referred by state attorneys general. Alex Jones pleads the fifth over a hundred times, but then tells everyone about it, effectively waiving his right to plead the fifth. John Eastman tries to block over 19,000 emails to Trump and allies sent from his university address. And a federal judge pushes for an April trial for the Oath Keepers. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. And incidentally, Dana, John Eastman invoked his Fifth Amendment right over 150 times. Shocking. The obvious little sketchy fuckers that we're talking about today. There's a lot of bad guys in the news. Yeah, yeah. And and we're just getting more and more confirmation about what prosecutors and investigators, whether they be at the Department of Justice or state attorneys general or the January 6th committee have and what they're looking into. And I think it's just going to continue to get louder and louder. Jamie Raskin said today that maybe end of February, March timeframe is when the public hearings could take place. They still haven't nailed down a specific date. Just wanted everyone to be aware of that. And a little brief piece of news, Dana. Remember Michael Avenatti? I do remember Michael Avenatti. <laughs> he has fired his lawyers and has decided to represent a fool himself. Oh, dear. In his trial where he, you know, he's in trouble for defrauding Stormy Daniels. Ah, uh, we were in. We, it's funny because Michael and I were little Twitter pals for a little while. Sending DMs back and forth before everyone realized. I mean... You had to know that maybe it was a little sketch fest from the beginning, but before we found out all of the drama. Yeah, I think I have a selfie of me somewhere with him at a Politicon before, you know, I, we were... You didn't I know. Was always, I was always a little skeptical, like, that guy seems trash, but like, I don't know, maybe he'll help, you know, get the Trumps or whatever. But yeah. here we are. Here we are. And uh, a little bit later in the show, I'm going to be talking with Brett Mycellus. He is one third of the Midas Touch podcast. And he just put together the film with the Midas Touch, a film called A Coup in Plain Sight. It's like a five and a half minute mini doc. You have to see it. And so um, I'm going to talk to him about about that. And we're going to talk about the seven state conspiracy. And it's of note that he and I recorded that conversation probably about five minutes before we learned that Lisa Monaco from the Department of Justice (laughs) said that she's reviewing those uh, false elector certificates. So we do have a lot to get to. Let's um, let's get into it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Baby, 
So big news story today. Federal prosecutors are reviewing fake electoral college certifications that declared former President Donald Trump the winner of states that he lost. And that's according to Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco in an interview, an exclusive interview with CNN. Quote, we've received those referrals. Our prosecutors are looking at those. And I can't say anything more on ongoing investigations. That's a pretty clear sign to me that they're investigating this. Now, of course, she couldn't, nor did she come out and say, yes, we're investigating the seven-state conspiracy. The fake certificates falsely declaring Trump's victory were sent to the National Archives, as we know, by Trump allies in mid-December of 2020. They've attracted a lot of public scrutiny amid the House January 6th investigation into the pressure campaign that sought to reverse Trump's electoral defeat. Monaco, again, did not go into detail about what else prosecutors are looking at from the partisan attempt to subvert the 2020 vote count. She said that more broadly, the Justice Department, and, and she said this in reference to this these electoral certificates, these forgeries. She said, like Merrick Garland said, we're going to follow the facts and the law wherever they lead to address conduct of any kind and at any level that is part of an assault on our democracy. And if you remember, I pointed out the importance of when Merrick Garland said those words, that he said, assault on our democracy, not assault on the Capitol, right. which to me indicated they were looking at more than just the people who attacked the Capitol on that day. This is the first time that the Justice Department has commented on a request from lawmakers and state officials that it is investigating the fake certificates. So this is really the first time we've heard anything like this. And it's coming from DAG, Lisa Monaco. And the certificates contain the signatures of Trump supporters, we know, who also showed up in a lot of the Kraken lawsuits. And these are folks who falsely claimed to be rightful electors in Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Nevada, and New Mexico, all states that Biden won. Some of the certificates were sent by top officials representing the Republican Party in each state. And that's, you know, according to the documents which were obtained and made public by American Oversight last year. So these have been out there floating around for a while. And, you know, to me, it's like, how do you prove intent? It's like, well, how come it's only seven states you lost? Right. Right. And uh, also, when you think, take into account the call from Raffensperger, where he claimed he won by hundreds of thousands of votes, but only wanted 11,780, that kind of goes toward intent, too. We'll see what happens. I'm just glad they're investigating it. That's a good sign. Yep. And a federal judge insisted on Tuesday that the first criminal trial for Oath Keepers who entered the Capitol on January 6th opened in Washington this April. Okay. So the criminal trial is going to open this April. A timeline, he said, he was committed to despite vocal objections from some defense attorneys. This made me laugh. Who worry they wouldn't have enough time to wade through the massive and growing trove of digital evidence. A lot of that against their own defendants. Hmm. Judge... Ahmet Mehta said the April 19th date for a subset of the 22 Oath Keepers charged with a sweeping conspiracy to obstruct the transfer of presidential power from Donald Trump to President Joe Biden. Now, Mehta said he expected the first trial to include defendants who haven't been detained and are facing obstruction charges rather than those who were recently charged with seditious conspiracy and might take more time to build their defenses. And a quote, this trial date is going to have to hold. The case has got to move forward. Meta said during a hearing held by video conference with prosecutors and defense lawyers, went on to say there's ample time to get ready. Hmm. Now, although defense lawyers said that they were facing a mountain of videos, smartphone downloads, and other evidence that is challenging to, to review, Meta said he believed that the most of the evidence directly relevant to most of the Oath Keeper defendants had been turned over some time ago. 
<laughs> and that the bulk of the remainder was evidence about the Capitol riot generally that probably won't be germane to anyone's defense. So that his timeline means that the government faces the likelihood of having its first conspiracy trial open without the marquee defendant they charged for the first time earlier this month, Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes. So the sequence also means the highly anticipated charge the government dusted off to level at Rhodes and 10 other members of his group a couple of weeks ago, that seditious conspiracy charge, AG, it won't go in front of a jury until July at the earliest after the first Oath Keepers group. So Meta also set a tentative date in September for a third trial, since it could be difficult to try so many defendants at once, especially with the coronavirus restrictions in place. Makes total sense. Mm. Meta said he expected that Rhodes' case since it was only recently charged, would take longer to prepare. Now, Rhodes' lawyer, Philip Linder, said he anticipated being ready for the July date. Exactly how many defendants will actually go on trial in each batch is unclear because negotiations about possible guilty pleas continue. They want to try and Ooh. see if they can do this a different way. Assistant U.S. Attorney Catherine Procoxie said there are some ongoing discussions about possible resolutions short of a trial. That sure sounds like a... <laughs> Um, some information giving, if you will. Yeah, talk about burying the lead there. I know. All right, next up, a federal judge is forcing a conservative lawyer who worked for then-President Donald Trump before the January 6th insurrection to respond to a House Select Committee subpoena of Chapman University for his emails, setting congressional investigators up to receive access to information they've wanted for months but had not been able to get. Federal Judge David Carter in Santa Ana, California, on Monday pinned down exactly when law professor John Eastman was at work for his client, Trump, as he devised a plan to overturn the 2020 election result. A lawyer for Eastman told the judge during a court hearing Monday his client had been working for Trump during a number of major controversial moments <laughs> leading up to <laughs> January 6th. <laughs> Could be anything. Could be all sorts of crimes. Which one are you talking about here? When he told state legislators on January 2nd they need to, quote, fix this, this egregious conduct that would put Joe Biden in the White House when he was in the Willard Hotel with other Trump contacts and when he met with Trump at Vice President Mike Pence and Vice President Mike Pence on January 3rd about blocking the congressional certification of the 2020 vote. These admissions from Eastman's lawyers, Charles Burnham, are the clearest statements yet on how much Eastman was doing on Trump's behalf rather than his own, like on his own, rogue. And that's in the days leading up to January 6th. And if there's emails about Trump and Pence and him meeting to pressure Pence to overturn the election, I mean... Those are receipts, delicious <laughs> receipts. Yeah. The judge then asked Eastman's team who his client was during each of the moments the House sought information about in their letter to Eastman announcing his subpoena. They're like, who, were you, who was your client during these specific times that the House is talking about? Eastman had been working for Trump. Uh, his lawyer said in court to nearly every question he's working for Trump. Eastman previously refused to provide information to the House when it subpoenaed him directly for the documents and testimony. And again, like I said, he invoked his Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination nearly uh, 150 times and to his document subpoena, which you really can't do, but whatever. And his former employer, Chapman University, said, dude, you can have these emails. They kind of belong to us. We'll give Eastman's legal team access to his nearly 19,000 emails by midday today. That's Tuesday. Yesterday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. So they can sort through and identify which emails they believe should stay confidential as legal advice between Eastman and Trump, who was Eastman's client 
as he shopped a legal theory to overturn the 2020 election on January 6th. That does make sense why his lawyer was like he was working for Trump. He was Trump's lawyer. He was working for Trump. He was Trump's lawyer, because that way you're going to say everything's covered by attorney-client privilege. (laughs) Yeah, except the crime fraud exception. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, speaking of pleading the fifth, pro-Trump broadcaster and conspiracy theorist, Mr. Horrible Human Being Alex Jones told listeners that he asserted his Fifth Amendment nearly a hundred times during an interview Monday with the January 6th Select Committee. He was very proud of this. But during a Monday evening broadcast, and this is what this jackass always does, Jones, who had been subpoenaed last November, he gave his audience what he characterized as his, quote, unofficial testimony. Now, when you do that, you sort of fuck up your Fifth Amendment rights. Anyway, He described the questions the committee asked him about his contacts with GOP fundraiser Caroline Wren, who he described as a liaison with the White House for logistics relating to Donald Trump's rally and his movements throughout January 6th as Trump supporters attacked the Capitol. My contact for the 5th and 6th was Caroline Wren, he said, and that's what I called a White House contact. (laughs) Jones said the January 6th committee seemed to have a lot of detailed information about him. That they displayed images of, of text messages he had with Ren and Cindy Chuffian. How did he get all this stuff? Yeah, I want to point out that that's not what you get when you subpoena Verizon. No. When you subpoena Verizon, you just get times of text messages. You don't get actual content. So somebody, somebody gave must have up. been Ren and Chaffian. I love it. Yeah, and, and Cindy Chaffian, who she was actually organized a pro-Trump, she organized a pro-Trump rally on January 5th. So both Ren and Chaffian had been subpoenaed by the committee last fall. Now, Jones said the committee asked about his contacts with Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. Now, on his show, he said he aided a Hooters in Atlanta with some of the members of the Proud Boys after a pro-Trump rally there. So, you know, it would be interesting, depending on which Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, and I'm just saying, uh, maybe handed over information on Alex Jones in return for leniency. It could be. And didn't we just talk about, well, he didn't say anything about Oath Keepers here, just the Proud Boys at Hooters. Yeah. But I mean, you know, there's there's some of those Oath Keepers who the government, the government even told the judge, hey, there still might be other ways to work some of this. We still are working on plea agreements here and cooperation. Absolutely. Oh, I would love for them all to flip on Alex Jones. That piece <laughs> of shit needs to be in jail a long time ago. I think it's great that, that it appears that Cindy Chaffee and, and Caroline Wren flipped on <laughs> Alex Jones. Right. So that's fun. All right. We'll be back with Brett. You know, do you listen to Midas Touch, right? It's just so good. Brilliant. And uh, Ben, Brett, and Jordy. And we have Brett with us next to discuss the new video that he's made for Midas Touch. It's called A Coup in Plain Sight. It's a mini doc. And it's like five to six minutes. It goes by in a flash, though. It's seriously one of the best things I've put together. We're going to talk with him after this break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. Happy to be joined today by one third of the Midas Touch podcast and co-founder of the Midas Touch podcast network. And we could talk a little bit about that too, but they have an incredible new video out. Please welcome videographer extraordinaire, Brett Mycellus. Hello. Hello, Allison. Thank you so much. And thank you for the kind words also about the video. I got to say, when I was making this video, I think my one fear was, what is Allison going to think about this? Because you are such an expert on the subject and you are far smarter than me on this subject and in many other subjects and most subjects. And so when I released it the whole time, I was like, I hope she likes it. (laughs) Fears be assuaged because it's absolutely incredible. And you have made some of the more important videos politically of our time. And I think that this one 
is and and you know this is no insult to all the rest of the other videos that you've put out but this one to me is head and shoulders probably one of the most important things that you've created and it's uh, what between 5 and 6 minutes and it wraps up perfectly so that everyone can understand the seven state conspiracy and all of the other spokes of this slow moving coup it's called a coup in plain sight and i was hoping you could tell us a little bit about it what made you want to make this video and kind of what the process was Yeah, first I'll say for those wondering where this video is released, you could watch it on the Midas Touch YouTube channel on our Twitter. It's currently our pinned tweet, and that's spelled M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H. And really, it started a few weeks ago when these stories started coming out. I think the first sort of glimmer of the idea came when I saw that report that Lou Dobbs had mentioned the seven electors back in uh, 2020. And I was like, that's interesting. And I made it my mission to find the footage of Lou Dobbs talking about that in 2020. And it was really hard to find. I couldn't find it on any normal YouTubes or any other searches, but I ultimately found that clip. And then that clip led me to, you know, looking through all the archives of those months, November 2020, December 2020. And they were all things that at the time we, you know, took notice of, but I don't think understood the importance of it. And so I just kept seeing, you know, one White House official after the next, one GOP congressman after the next talking about these fake electors, talking about, well, in, in their mind, they called them the alternate electors, but they are fraudulent electors and and speaking about this. And every day there was a new news story coming out about whether it was about this or other sort of bombshells. And I just didn't sometimes when I try to do these videos, I just want to try to piece together all the information that exists in a way that people could digest. I mean, I've been a video editor. I've been a a filmmaker. Like this is my skill. Like this is what I know how to do for the cause. And so I'm always like, how could I help using my talents? And so I, you know, just started assembling all the clips and just really had to try to figure out the framing for it. And ultimately I decided, you know what, let's just tell the story. I feel like we at Midas Touch and many filmmakers out there have done videos about January 6th itself about that day. But what we've learned since then is that January 6th was not about January 6th, but it was about all the things that preceded it and all the things that are happening now after the fact. And so I wanted to tell that story with January 6th being the framing in the middle, but it really being about the buildup and the effects of it right now. And so I just started gathering everything and I you know, wrote the script and uh, just started working away, grinding away. And I uh, thought it was going to be released probably more like a week ago. And uh, then every single day there was a new bombshell story. I would turn on uh, CNN or open up the New York Times or Washington Post or Politico. And I'd say, what? They, he had an executive order to seize the military machines? And I was like, OK, well, this has to be a part of it because this is a very important part of the story. And so I, I pieced it together. Um, I was really excited about it. It's I, I, you know, I, we decided basically to make it a longer video. Our normal videos probably last more like 60 seconds, um, sometimes 30 seconds, but this was just too important of a story to tell. So we decided to make it a mini short film, a coon plain sight, put it out there. I wasn't sure how people would react to kind of a uh, slightly longer form video from us, but I was really proud of the product and I hope people can now take this and, and use it as an educational tool to, to share with people. That's really what I want. I mean, share it with your friends, share it with your family, because not everybody is in tune with the news like me and Allison and you listening to this podcast. Like most people are going about their daily lives and I don't blame them for that, but use it as a tool to educate your friends and family and let them know the real threats to our democracy. 
Yeah, yeah, and share it everywhere. And and I think that one of the things that you do really well in this video is you point out all the connective tissue. You know, of course, last year I was like, huh, there was a, you know, the Jeffrey Clark letter was went out where well, there was going to be seven that were going to go out to seven different states. And then the Eastman memo came out and I'm like, huh, seven states. And I, I started to see this connective language, but then it gets extremely detailed when you're talking about corrected set of facts and alternate electors and and all of this language from the Clark letters to the Eastman memo to the Waldron coup plot PowerPoint to the to the tweets that Trump put out on January 6th to some that were being read in the audience. I know Sandy Basham has video of some of those tweets being read out. And and that kind of language shows. And of course, you know, you also point out you do a really good job with showing these different elector certificates and they're all identical right maddo pointed that out too on her show they all look exactly the same no official seals they didn't even they didn't even go that far to like make an official seal or anything they just like copied and pasted the same uh, language that they each had yeah except i think another group in arizona did use the the seal state (laughs) seal and they've they're in trouble for that now or at least it's being looked at they videotaped themselves signing the documents they were proud of it at the time we included the arizona gop a video footage of them which by the way i took directly from their facebook page and got it in the video this is how brazen they were about it and that's where the name a coup in plain sight happened because it happened and it is happening right now in plain sight right before our very eyes. They are not ashamed of it. I mean, we saw it the other day when Boris Epstein was on uh, Ari Melber's show, basically just admitting to the crime like they either don't think there was anything wrong with what they did or they are proud of it. And I think it's pretty clear at this point that this was a conspiracy. This was very much coordinated. Now it's, you know, was it one big conspiracy? Was it a million little conspiracies scattered around? You know, how involved was Trump in each of them? But I think it's pretty clear that he had an involvement in basically all of what was going on at this time. Yeah. And there's a third option here, too. You know, when we talk about stuff happening in plain sight, I think Trump has learned he can get away with stuff. Yeah because it's hard to nail someone down for intent if they aren't hiding it. And so he seems to think, well, if I just tell everybody, and we, we for years we called it lubing the truth on, on Mueller, she wrote. <laughs> you know, when, when uh, Junior would come out with his emails ahead to get ahead of the story, or when, you know, when we, you have somebody like Epstein on television or Peter Navarro saying, oh yeah, we totally did this. I honestly think they're setting up a, a, a legal defense to say, no, this is all legal. And we thought this was all legal. And our lawyers advised us that this was all legal. So we couldn't possibly have any criminal culpability here. Or why would we go on television and tell everybody about it? And I I think that that's probably what we might end up seeing if, you know, criminal charges are brought in this. We, We do know that the archives has some police at the archives who are looking into this and the inspector general and there at that particular agency. We know that a couple of state attorneys general have made criminal referrals to the Department of Justice saying if they don't, we'll do it. And of course, Sidney Powell and Giuliani and her PACs are under federal criminal investigation in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office with a grand jury there led up by Molly Gaston, who is assistant U.S. attorney in that office. Very high level person who's looking at these politically charged criminal attempts. And 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 Sidney Powell, I think, had a lot to do with the drafting of that letter that you included in yeah. the memo uh, about uh, seizing voting machines and appointing her as special counsel. Yeah. We know Michael Flynn was involved and that they're part of this investigation. And whether or not it's touching 
on this particular seven state conspiracy. And, it, you know, it's going to be interesting to find out in the coming weeks. But, you know, in the meantime, this video is so good at like if you've got a family member, you got an Uncle Frank who's like, I don't believe it. This is puts it so succinctly. And honestly, it doesn't feel like a five and a half minute video because it, it's so it's got so much information. All killer, no filler, as we say. And it, it goes by fast. It's, you know, you're like, wow, it's just packed so much in there. The reality is it could have been a two hour documentary. Like there's there's so much and I could have added so much more that even came out in the past few days. It just is constantly ongoing and there may have to be a part two and maybe down the road I will do something longer. But I think it's also important that stuff like this is kept at a bite sized length that can be easily shared, especially during this time when people don't know what's true what's not true when there are so many different talking heads speaking at them. They could just sit down, hone in, watch this, form their own opinions. I feel like it's a pretty damning indictment. I'm not the attorney in the family, but I think it makes quite the case as to the conspiracy that all played out before our eyes and also the real threats that we're facing right now in state houses across the country with Republicans really, in a way, basically saying, hey, the insurrection didn't work on January 6th, but we're going to try to work the insurrection via illegal means through the state houses and try to change voting laws and make it just harder for people to vote, try to actually change the positions that got in the way of all of this, like the secretaries of state, people on election boards. And so, I, you know, I, I think it's important. I hope people watch it. And more importantly, like you said, use it as an educational tool to share it with as many people as possible. Yeah, because whether or not what's in it rises to the level of criminality by the code, by federal criminal code, the court of public opinion is important in this as well. And that's the reason that the January 6th committee is going to do public hearings. They can't indict anyone. They can make criminal referrals. But, you know, with Epstein and Navarro and everybody coming out and saying, oh, yeah, this is totally what we were going to do. Criminality or not, it's so important that Americans understand what happened. And I think that this video will help that tremendously. Well, that, that means the world to me uh, coming from you, who really is like the foremost expert on the subject. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful and humbled by your support and really grateful and humbled by just all the support of everybody for this. Like I said, like we don't usually release things over a couple minutes. So seeing the reaction has been just so incredible. And I hope everybody enjoys it and feel free to, you know, tweet at me your thoughts and uh, let me know what you want to see included in part two. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see it. Well, we just got to wait for more evidence to come out. We'll figure yeah, it out. Exa exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. So it's the pinned tweet on Midas Touch. It's on Midas Touch YouTube. And everybody check out the Midas Touch podcast. Uh, Brett, I appreciate you talking to me today. I appreciate you and everything you do, Allison. Thank you so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. All right, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have good news or confessions or corrections or whoobies, this is my new favorite thing. I love these. You could send it, at, at, at just photos, anything you want to send to us, you can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. I'm excited about the good news today, Dana. I really am. I need, I need a good news jolt. Let's do it. All right, let's do this. I'll kick us off with the first submission from anonymous pronouns, she and her. Hey, Beans Queens, I'm not a neurologist, but I just wanted to send a great big hug to a fellow stroke survivor, your friend of the pod. I've been struggling with something similar to you, throat pain, especially after talking. No answers here, although staying hydrated helps a ton. I just wanted to say I hear you and I see you. 
Surviving a stroke is hard. Dealing with the effects is hard. Recasting yourself narrative and finding new embodiment after a stroke is hard. But you have a huge cheering section, even in a little stranger like me. Biggest of hugs to you from me, your stroke survivor buddy. Oh, thank you for that. Ah, Dear Leguminati, your podcast gets me through these interesting times. And thank you for brightening my morning every day. I have no pet for a pod pet tax. But did I hear correctly that you all want to hear about our choo-choo, pronounced shoo-shoo? Okay, yes. I'd love to introduce you to Torpedo and Orcus, pronounced Orcus. I got it right. Orcus. Yeah. All right. Age 26 and 33, orca whales who are cousins. They're constantly checking to see if the refrigerator has escaped and they'll pronounce all punctuation out loud as Mimop. Orca's 33rd birthday is tomorrow, but Torpedo only knows the first two lines to happy birthday. So he'll be singing two lines to her in a repeated loop. Cheers to all of you who find comfort in your loveys today and every day. Life is weird and we need our armies. Oh my Weirdo. God, so cute. And what an adorable submission. Little whoobies. And I had one like this too. I got at SeaWorld when I was a kid, as a matter of fact. It looks really familiar to me. So sweet. All right, this next one's from Anonymous. Pronounce she and oh. her. Oh, no real news. But here are <laughs> baby chinchillas that were born on Martin Luther King Day. Dana will really appreciate the names my daughter picked for them. Mr. Floof and Professor Poof. <laughs> oh my God. I love you all so much. And also a pic of our goofy llama for fun. I love this house. Thanks for being such a great source of news and such a fun listen. You're the first podcast I listen to each day and it always feels like a conversation between friends. And chinchillas are adorable. And look at this llama. Oh, <laughs> I mean, thank you, Anonymous, for these pictures. They really warm my heart. That is a beautiful llama. It really is. And look at these little chinchulos. I like uh, Mr. Floof and Professor Poof. That's great. All right, thank you for that. Next up from Donna, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. Both front and back of the house. As one of your longstanding British listeners from the kitchen days, I had to laugh at your discussion regarding substantive. It reminded me of something my stepdad would say. Americans emphasize the first or second syllable in words. British emphasize the correct syllable. (laughs) In fairness, that's not always true. But I guess it's the exceptions which prove the rule. Thanks for all you do. I I was thinking about this because I say, you know, I always was told it was a harassment or instead of harassment, you know, so I've kind of there's a lot of different words like that. I love if you're a fan of Eddie Izzard, I love their comedy. (laughs) They have this um, bit at just, you know, talking about language and and they're like, you say herb and we say herb because there's a fucking H in it. it. (laughs) You say leisure, we say leisure. (laughs) Brilliant comedian. And if you haven't seen them in, oh God, uh, what is this show? It's not the best show. It's on Netflix. Someone's going to have to. Oh, I need to check that out. I haven't, I haven't seen that yeah, one. Yeah, they're brilliant. I'll, you, you read the next one and I'll think of it and we'll plug it in. All right. Sounds good. And if you haven't seen Dress to Kill, it's, it's their best work, I'm pretty sure. But everything they do is amazing. Okay. Right? I already I mean, got everything. It. The, the oh, you already have it. Stay Close. Stay close. Yeah. And it's on, um, I believe it's on Netflix. I've been watching it. You know, it's sort of one of those guilty pleasures like Emily in Paris. Like it's not the best show, but you can't stop watching it. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, next up from Scott, pronouns he and him. Hi, Good Beans folk. I am a merchant mariner from Brisbane, Australia. More than 20 years ago, when I left to sail the stormy seas, a very dear friend of mine, a friend made for me, Warren, a small teddy bear as a travel companion. 
Since that time, he has been around the world several times and visited over 100 countries. So I'm an old sailor who travels with a teddy bear. Thanks for all you do. You never fail to enlighten and entertain. Look. So sweet. I love this. I love these whoopee stories. <laughs> I know. All right. Okay. I'm leaning on the beer. I know. I know, so right? Sweet. All right. This is from Steve. Pronouns he and him. Hey, Queens of the Leguminati. When I was listening to See a Man About a Coup this morning, I was really enjoying the beginning of the good news. Without going into detail, I suddenly found myself worried about a friend when she messaged our messenger group. It involved her narcissistic, physically abusive ex. Mm. After figuring out she was going to be okay, I tried scrubbing back a minute to catch up with the shit pillows and, and whoopee story. <laughs> <laughs> However, my worry about my friend left me with an anxiety anger pit in my gut. It was more than just distracting. Maybe two hours later, I started the good news segment for the third time. I was in stitches over the spaghetti squash. You and me both. <laughs> when my nephew was a baby, he had a blankie. It was one blanket but it ended up falling apart over time. Finally, it became two pieces of the same blanket. That became useful when one piece could not be found at bedtime or nap time. A couple of years later, when his sister was born, she got a stuffed puppy her parents named Puppy. The parents, having learned from the blankie, bought three identical puppies <laughs> at the same time. God, ding, that's ding. fucking brilliant. Like her brother with the blankie, my niece hated it when Puppy got washed. She would always insist on the filthiest one of the three. It was always by her mouth. So gross. Sometimes she would come home from daycare, putting down the puppy she'd carried all day and picking up a different one at home. Finally, I offer this misheard lyrics, kids say. First of all, that was a great story. Misheard lyrics, kids say, we're combining two. That same nephew, when he was little, thought Johnny Nash was singing, I can see all popsicles in my way. <laughs> <laughs> I can see all popsicles in my way. In my way. <laughs> As in, I can see clearly now. After all, what does a toddler know about obstacles when he knows where his blankie is? Today, at the end of the show, I felt a pang during Dana's final words. It made me think of the pit that had earlier been my gut as I worried about my friend. I so appreciate what y'all contribute to my day. For Pod Pet Tax, please see the picture of Molly. Oh my God, I have been dog-sitting her since she was a puppy in February 2020. She may not be my dog, but she greets me as if I am her person. Molly is dog. beautiful. Look what a happy baby. <laughs> I want to like pet this dog right now, you know? I do too. I need some doggy therapy. I really do. I, it's so funny. I have a friend that owns a dog walking business. I should just go to work with her tomorrow. <laughs> right? A ride along for a dog walker? Totally. They should have those. And to walk along. Yeah. I'm, I'm in for that. That's right. a good idea. Right? You know, I, I miss the window probably of having my own kids. And I definitely have pain about that often. And then I think um, of going to be a baby cuddler at the hospital. I think I'd mentioned this before. And it takes a lot of background checks and all of that stuff. But you know, think, it's, think about those things all the time, you know, things that I may have missed out on because of time in my life. And if there's any way to fill some of those voids, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, hence the two cats. There you go. <laughs> Void fillers. Maybe I'll just get a puppy and cuddle that. It's probably best for everybody. Because <laughs> I don't think they, they think they would frown upon me taking the baby and running out of the hospital. <laughs> And, you know, I wanted to, but as a, you know, in a single person who lives alone now and I travel, 
you know, so often that it's hard. Dogs are hard. Cats, yeah, exactly. no problem. Yep. Puppies are a little harder to, you can't just leave them nope. with a trough of food and say, best of luck. You know, you can. Nope. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I do have, you know, friends stop by and stuff, but it's like, it's just, you know, they just need, a, dogs need a little bit more attention. They I do think. indeed. Mm-hmm. And you know well, what? Thank you. They also give a little more love. That, Listen, I love cats too. Don't worry. But when cats are done loving you, oh boy, they are done loving you. When they're done being touched, they will let you know. Dogs rarely are done being touched. That's very true. Mine aren't usually done ever being petted. But, you know, if you're going to make generalizations about cats and dogs, I, I'd, I'd, go, I'd buy that one. Okay, yeah. good. And, and don't worry, I won't make more generalizations. I try not to. <laughs> Quit generalizing my cat. Although I'm just going to say it's actually cheaper to adopt a cat than it is a dog because you need that extra $100 for therapy. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And there's no training classes for cats either. I mean, I'm sure there are. Don't, you know, at me. I'm sure there are. But, you know, that's just not a thing. You know, you got to train the dog. You got it. Trust me. I, I will tell you this right now. This podcast and these pet tax picks, especially with these cats, have opened my heart and my mind so much. And listen, it's not a dislike thing. It's an allergy issue. Like, <laughs> and I sound like, you know, an old Jew. I have allergies. It's the danda. It's the cat danda. I can't deal with it. Otherwise, I love cats. They just try and kill me. <laughs> well, that's true for everyone, whether they're allergic or not, yeah. I think. Yeah, they're constantly plotting our demise. Oh, yeah. And especially, apparently, if you die in the apartment, they eat your face. I have no idea. Yeah. It's just rumors I've heard. Yeah. If, if they were bigger, they would eat us. They would kill us. <laughs> but we we bring them the food. So they uh, there are tiny furry overlords. But anyone, if you have anything you want to send in, any of your pet pictures or will be stories or, or anything you want to send in at all, please do. Uh, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana. Yes. Do you have any final thoughts today? I don't today. I really am just going to keep all my thoughts to myself till tomorrow. Okay. All right. And uh, I just want to just send love out to everybody and you, my friend, just hugs and love to everyone. Thank you. And uh, we will be back in your ears tomorrow. So until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. Refried beans. I like refried beans. I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Give.